I'm doing the best I can, Dan. <laughs> wow. It's always awesome to get away, but it's that old saying, there's no place like home. It's awesome to come home again. And, um, you know, I just a couple things I just want to, uh, one thing in particular I want to say is, how many of you know who Midge Shaw is? Woo, good. <laughs> Invite everyone you know that knows Midge because she's going to be here December 4th sharing with us. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Midge and Steve Shaw were the former pastors here for years, and Midge had this incredible calling to go down the Amazon, and she started eons ago. She wrote a book. It's been published, and she wants to come and bless us she really wants to bless those that helped made, uh, make that journey possible for her. And she's going to have a book signing. And, 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 and she says, I'm selling these books at my cost to my family here. So that is a blessing and that's an honor. So she's going to be here just sharing her adventure and her journey. Uh, you know, she's getting up there. And she's still not afraid to go out there and just get on those boats and go into the jungles and walk through the mud and the water up to her ears to just preach Jesus. She has a heart to make Jesus famous, and that's really what it's all about because that's the vision of Jesus, and she's done it incredibly well. So mark your calendars. Let your friends know. We're going to put it on Facebook. Um, you know, she wanted to come and just, she was real humble about it. She says, I can just be in the back room, and uh, no one will, you know, I can just kind of, I said, no way. You're going to share. And she said, really? I said, yeah. So we opened the pulpit to her. On December 4th, 1st December, uh, first uh, Sunday in December. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. <coughs> wow, this thing is booming. Awesome. What do you think of the sound system? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. While we were gone, we had an opportunity to go up to... Uh, Seattle Revival Center, that's where our kids go, and Darren Stott preached, and, and he's just awesome, he's like a young Mr. Rogers, and he's just fun, he's exciting, he's just full of vim and vigor and all kinds of crazy stuff, and, and he shared a perspective of something that I want to bounce off of today, and I want to end in a different, way different place than he did in it, because I think that's where God wants to take us as a tribe and as a people. And he, he's doing this incredible series called Origin, and it's about the beginning of so many different things. But he took us through the book of Genesis back to the very beginning, and, and, and where he started was he started with the original sin and where it originally came from. It's very fascinating, very interesting, very dynamic, very fun to listen to. But one of the things that caught my heart in this is the story of Noah's Ark. Okay, so turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to kind of do a little line-by-line run-through of the story of Noah and the ark. And there's some stuff in here that I think is so critical for us to understand in terms of where God wants us to take us as a people in such a time as this. Amen? So here we go. Starting in verse 1, it says, and I'm reading out of the NIV. You ready? You got your seatbelts on? Here we go. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 
120 years. The Nephilim who were on the earth in those days and also afterward were the sons of God. They came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And they were, they were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And he goes on. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, and the Lord regretted. King James says the Lord repented that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God. Wow. <clears throat> Let's break this down a little bit. The sons of God. It says there were these people called the sons of God on the earth at that time. Now, the sons of God, if you do any biblical research or study on the sons of God, you see that they can either be wicked angelic spirit beings or they can simply be just you and i because romans eight fourteen says for who <clears throat> for who, for all who are led by the spirit are the sons of god but these particular sons of god this is my theory because so much of this is mixed up with so much so much opinion the nephilim and all that and i'm not going there today other than to say that there was wicked people on the earth at that time who appear to be supernatural, angelic beings in physical form. We go to, to Revelation chapter 12, and we see that there was a great war in heaven, verses, I think, 7 through 14, or 1 through 7. There we go. And it talks about this war in heaven where, man, this Michael the archangel, all this stuff's going on, and, and, and they prevailed, the good guys. So a third of the angels of heaven were thrown to the earth. And this became their dominion. I believe that some of those beings perhaps were these very ones. And God's watching all this, you know, and he's, he, he, he's watching and he's saying, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. Man has always had this quest to be immortal, right? Always wanted to live forever. Let's drink and find the fountain of youth. If you drink this, hold that, move this, do that, you will live forever. At least that's the quest, right? <clears throat> but God said, hey, I'm not going to put up with this, and I'm not going to put it up. I'm done. And therefore, he puts an expiration date on man. Think about that. We have an expiration date. <laughs> we all know what that means. My wife, when she goes shopping, the first thing she looks at, especially in some of those cheaper food places, I won't mention names, but she'll look at the expiration date. When you get four boxes for 39 cents, there's a problem. It could be after the expiration date. How many times we've gone through our cupboards and we have found something that expired? My son, if it's like three days up to it, he throws it out like something's going to jump out of there and grab him. <clears throat> My wife's like, oh, it's only that. It's still okay. Stir it up a little bit. It'll be fine. You hear what I'm saying? But we see at this point in history, God puts this expiration date on mankind, or at least it appears that, 120 years. Although we know, historically, there's been people possibly lived beyond that. And that's not the point. The point is, is that God says, you know what? I'm going to condense this. I'm going to shorten this up a little bit. <clears throat> you know, just kind of a sidebar note. We got into this in men's group Friday morning, and we started talking about this for just a moment. And it just, 
it seems as if the church has this, I don't know, this high view of death. It's way too high. And, and <clears throat> we, we put this emphasis like, I am so tired of this life. I'm so tired of all the issues I'm running into. I just can't wait to get out of here. How many have heard that? Honestly, how many of us have felt that? I can't wait for the Jesus bus to come because I want out of here. I'll be the first one on the bus. I'm going to elbow my way in. I'm going to bite ankles. I'm going to, no, I'm just kidding. Because I want out of this life. We hear a lot of that. And unfortunately, we have people who have bought into that that are so tired, they've given up. Now, pastorally, I'm privy to a lot of suicides. And it breaks my heart. And some of these were people who say they believed in Jesus. They just couldn't wait to get out of this life. <clears throat> you know, guys, I just, a few things I just want to point out really quick is that death to me is really just a graduation ceremony if you're a believer. Meaning we step from this spirit into another body, an immortal body that lives forever. It's kind of like Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not die. <clears throat> That's interesting. And, and hear me, I'm not doing this teaching on immortality this morning. Those are his words, not mine. But again, Jesus said, whoever would believe in me would not die. <clears throat> Paul says in, in Corinthians, to be absent from the flesh is to be in the presence of the Lord. And this is in the context of those who believe in Jesus. Nikki, where's Nikki? <clears throat> She's here somewhere. She, she, she quoted the, me this, this morning. I thought this was beautiful. She talked about David in Psalms 23, 4, where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What, what was David really saying here? To me, the meaning of this is the shadow of death is as close as I'm going to get to death if I am a believer. Yes, there's going to come a day that we're going to all of a sudden be teleported like Philip was, <clears throat> and we're in the presence of Jesus. And we're going to go, hey, Jesus, you're here. And he's going to go, no, no, you're here. What? <laughs> come on, Jesus, bring it in. I want to hug you. I want to love you. Yeah, right? Guys, we've got to keep this all in perspective, or we can end up on a dirge sliding on our ear for 100 yards. And it's not very comfortable. Yes, there is an seems to be an appointed time for every man and every woman on this planet to all of a sudden be standing in the presence of the Lord. But there is no expiration date on our spirits. And I think that in this moment when everyone seems to be throwing in the towel, walking away, getting torched, I think that we need to give a higher appreciation for the life that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. Amen? <clears throat> you were created for such a time as this. God didn't create you for this moment to torture you. God didn't bring you to this point in your life to torture you. God brought you here for such a time as this. There's something that God has for you to do. I want to tell you, <clears throat> we also shared this in men's meeting. If you don't know Jesus, this world right now is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. But if you know Jesus, this world is the closest to hell you'll ever come. Amen? So, let's go to Genesis 6-6 six, six, because this is where I want to focus. <coughs> Genesis 6-6, six, six, and it repented the Lord in the King James that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. It repented the Lord 
that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. At that moment, God's standing there, wherever he's at, up, down, sideways, wherever, and he's looking at all this. And the word says and tells us in the King James that it repented the Lord. This is a very, very curious verse because uh, on the surface, it really does appear that God regrets creating mankind because of the wickedness he's seen in front of him. And right here and now, we're introduced to a side of God that we haven't seen yet in the book of Genesis. I want to talk about this for a moment because it's really important. The story of Noah and the ark and how it has been shared with us and many other stories in the word of God, how they have been shared with us has shaped the way you and I see God today. Amen? So everyone in this room, I guarantee it, we all see God a little differently But how we really see God is incredibly important in terms of staying focused and keeping clarity in such a time as this, right? So here we go. Most of us in this room, I think it would be fair to say, from mildly to wildly, (laughs) mildly to very wildly, we're very Holy Ghost, charismatic, Pentecostal, Evangel with a little bit of evangelicalism sprinkled in here and there. So when we hear a word like theology, we tend to just nod off, space off, tune out, check out. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. Now, if I say, mention demons, you're like, where? Oh, where are they? If I mention angels, it's like, where? Where are the angels? I want to see them. true right i'm guilty but i want to say something theology the word in its simplest definition is how you view or how you see god and this is so critical we understand this in this moment a good theology basically goes like this you have a view of god that is biblically correct and you have not created god in your own image and in your own likeness nor in the the image of your biological father or mother, your aunt or uncle. In other words, God has given you this revelation of how good and how awesome and how wonderful he is. Amen? That is a good, healthy theology. Now, a bad theology is you have this distorted view of God, and it's a picture of God that's not correct. It's a lens you look through, and a lot of that's based on your life experience, how you were raised, what was spoken to you as a child, how you, were, how you viewed things based on your history. If you were put down and talked down and told you were stupid and dumb your whole life, that's the lens you look through. And if that's how you view God, that he's a meanie, you have bad theology. So at the end of the day, bad theology, distorted picture of God. Good theology, you have a good picture of God. Bad theology, you have this this imagery of an angry, vindictive, heavy-handed, lightning-bolt-throwing God who wants to spank you at every corner because you did something wrong. Some of us grew up under that kind of heavy-handedness. And unfortunately, it's distorted the way you look at God. In these days that we're in today, we need a really clear, healthy view of who the Father is and how much He loves us. I remember a Sunday school teacher years ago, and for me, this is how theology was developed in my life. It was the teachers that I had in my life. And it was the way I began to interpret the Word and read the Word and study the Word. That began to form theology, my view of God in my life, and many of you as well. So I had this Sunday school teacher who was very passionate, 
And I remember he telling us the story of Noah and the ark, and he was telling us how angry and how mad God was, and God just wanted to kill them all, and he wanted to wipe out the planet, and he wanted to flood them and drown them, and I'm just going, whoo! And then he goes, and then, later on, he's going to burn it all. True? It's like, man, I felt my pants light on fire. So even as a young boy, I couldn't help but think, man, God, something's not right here. You, you don't seem to be able to get this right. It seems like everything you do and create always ends up wicked. Are we really that bad, God? Is mankind really that bad? If you take it into today, man, if you look at it through this lens, today, there's so much evil on this planet. Man, God must really regret creating us. Am I a mistake? These are the things that can run through your heart. And I don't know about you, but this idea of a God repenting that he created man just didn't add up to me. Even as a young boy, I just couldn't put it together because I was also taught that God was all-knowing. He was omniscient. He was all-knowing. So in my little pea brain, <clears throat> I'm thinking, how could an all-knowing God willingly create a mistake that he was going to destroy later? It just didn't add up to me. So what is God really doing here? I think if we're going to understand this passage, if we really want to know what's going on in verse 6, we have to understand what the translation really means. Amen? <clears throat> Take another drink here before I lose my voice. <clears throat> and this to me is where it really gets fascinating. I love studying the original Hebrew and the original Greek. Because so many of our words that we have put in there in our English language don't add up to what the original author intended. And this is one of those moments. So when we look at Genesis 6-6 through the eyes of the Hebrew author, which was, by the way, Moses. <coughs> Moses wrote the first, the Pentuatich, which is the law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote all of those. So when we look at it through the lens of what he was writing, the word that he used in this moment for regretting or repenting is not the word shav. It's, it's, it's the Hebrew word nacho. Think of nacho. Makes it easier. <clears throat> it's the word nacho. He didn't use the word that we commonly refer to as repentance. John Walton is interesting here. John Walton, who was a major biblical <coughs> contributor and a biblical scholar to the NIV Bible, he said, there is a problem with the word nacho, which is the correct translation for that word. It's not shah, where we get the word uh, tashuva, which means to turn and repent. It's the word shav. That's not the original word that was in there. It was the only word we could find that would fit that, that, would, that, that again, would fit our English language. Interesting, right? So John Walton just said, here's the problem. And that, this is his quote. There is no word in the English or even other Western languages which can adequately translate nachem because it includes so many different nuances. What makes the word nachem really difficult to translate is that it expresses four emotions all in one word. Four emotions all in one word. You have grief, you have comfort, you have compassion, and you have hope in one word. Man, the Semitic languages, they were so poetic. How can you get one word to say 
so many things. It's like opening up a can and rainbows come out. So much in one word. And that was the problem. When they were writing and translating this, they couldn't find a word that fit Nachum, so they just put the word repentance in there. So, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So we read here that godly sorrow works or brings repentance, but it also tells us that godly sorrow is not repentance. It only brings about repentance. So was God sorrowful as he was in that moment? Was he sorrowful in his heart? Or was he repenting and regretting? No, not at all. So in this case, if we were to translate this and render it in the original Hebrew, we would read it like this. And the Lord felt grief. The Lord felt comfort, compassion, and hope because he had made man from the ground. And the last part of this phrase <clears throat> where it says, and it grieved him at his heart. This is an old Semitic idiom, which is very poetic again and in its expression because there is no equal in the English language to compare it to. So if, if we were actually to correctly say this, we would say, and the Lord felt grief. In this moment, the Lord felt comfort. He felt compassion and hope because made, he had made man from the ground. And he was grieving unto his heart. Powerful. Powerful. It could be put this way to make it very short. God was angry at what had happened. I recall a time in my life when my wife and I got a phone call in the middle of the night that one of our children had been in an awful, awful car accident. They were a passenger. <clears throat> we didn't know if they were dead or alive. We just know they'd been in a terrible high-speed accident. And it was all stupid choices. But I remember that moment, how we felt when we got that phone call in the middle of the night. We felt, and what we felt was not right. We felt a grieving that went into our heart. All in the same moment, we felt this grief over the plight of our child. We also, at the same time, felt comfort when we found out they were still alive. And we had compassion for their pain, yes. And we had hope that they would recover with no lasting injuries. And then in that moment, I remember my wife and I just sitting on the bed. We just stared at that. How, how many have had a phone call in the middle of the night that just rings different? those emotions at one time wow that's what's happening to God here in Genesis 6 folks this is what happens to God when we sin he's stricken with grief over our plight but he's relieved when we come to that place God I'm so sorry and he feels compassion over the situation that the sin put us in he gets it he understands that but he also feels hope when you turn around and say, Father, forgive me. Help me. And he reaches down and he just pours his cleansing blood of, his, of, of, of you, over you. And he's filled all over you. In our Western culture, guys, it's, it's so, I, I'll just say this. We work so hard at trying to keep our grief away from our heart. We do this so that we can put on some kind of brave face for most of us. There's a lot of people grieving, and you look at them, 
And unless the Spirit reveals that through discernment, we're really good at keeping the mask on. That, that's God. Everything is awesome. I'm doing okay. Not really. But you walk around with that face on. Because we, we know that when that, reach, grief, uh, that uh, grief reaches our heart, we will feel immense and unbelievable pain. So as long as we can keep that grief away from our hearts, we feel this place of being safe. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. We're living in a day, guys, when we do everything we can to self-medicate so that we don't allow that pain to get past the gate into our hearts because this is literally what that word translates. This grief that God saw left and went into his heart. A lot of people in addiction, a lot of people into alcohol and all kinds of crazy things because they're trying to clip off that pain to keep it from settling into their heart because they know once it gets there, they're done. It's the, now they're in for a big, big battle, right? <coughs> but hey, I've got some great news. <laughs> I got some really good news. And that is that God felt. Do you hear me? God felt. Well, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Pastor. You're telling me that the great I am, the maker of the universe who set the stars and the moon spinning, that he feels? He emotionally feels? I'm saying, yes, he does. And he feels incredibly wild about you. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that God rejoices over you. Do you know that? I hope you do. And what that means literally translates into he violently rejoices over you, which means he's spinning, he's dancing, he's rejoicing, he's leaping over you. He loves us that much. In this text, we see a God who feels who feels a lot of very deep and complex emotions. He feels grief. He feels comfort. He feels compassion. And he feels hope. And you and I have been created in his image. You and I, we've been given permission to have those same kind of feelings. And it's okay. You may say, well, you know, but pastor, I feel like I'm being run over by my anger. Or I feel like I'm being run over by my emotions in some way, shape, or form. And I would say to that, praise God. Praise God that you can feel. You say, whoa, wait, why? Because it's part of the promise, guys. In Ezekiel 14, or Ezekiel 11, 14 through 21, God says, I'm going to put a new heart. I'm going to tear out that heart of stone. This isn't about giving us a new heart that's biological. It's not that. He takes out that heart of stone, and he puts in us a heart of flesh that's able to grieve, it's able to feel compassion, it's able to reach out and to love others. Even when others are doing it wrong, it still has this heart to want to do the right thing. You know, <clears throat> man, it, I think at the same time, it gives us this ability to bless and to curse not our emotions. Some of you are in this incredible season, I get this, where you need help processing through your emotions, but it's only for a season, and you know what? That is okay. Don't see yourself as weak. And some of you struggle with your emotions and you feel like you're a wimp. I'm saying don't go there. It gets better. And so look, look, take a look at David. David said over and over again, bless my soul. David was the originator of soul talk. He said, bless my soul. Because I think David understood that the soul was the seat of his emotions. 
If your soul is not healthy, it makes it really hard for you to enter in to worship, right? If your soul is not healthy, it really makes it hard for you to interact with others in a healthy way. Amen? You get bitter. You can get forked. You can get angry if your soul is not in a good place. But look at David. Guy was a mess. David was all over the charts with his emotions. One moment he's saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And the next moment he's going, God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you kicked me to the curb? Why am I laying here in the ditch, God? You did this to me. Why, God? But the cool part is, is here's God up in heaven looking down going, finally, finally, someone who will worship me in spirit and in truth. Finally, someone who will worship me with the song of their heart and not just a bunch of words up on a white screen. Isn't that powerful? Finally, someone who doesn't really understand me, yet they really, really, really want to know me. Amen? Finally, someone who is after my own heart. Guys, I'm telling you, bless your soul. It's okay. Bless your emotions. It's okay, but be angry, but the word says sin not. We can figure this out. Bless your soul and grieve, but we're to grieve not like those without hope. There's a process. We can do this in a healthy way. When you grieve and when you're angry and when you're happy, you feel godly. I'm telling you, that's how that works. You're being like God. You were created in his image. You were created in the image of an emotional God, and he loves you emotionally, and he wants to heal you and touch every part of your emotional being. Amen? He wants you to care. A lot of people have quit caring. They just don't care anymore. I've heard that. Just, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. Well, let me tell you something. Don't ever get in a car with someone who doesn't care. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so Genesis 6.6 6 is also the imagery of a father who never takes off his love hat. Ah, because he doesn't have to. Why? Because he is love. And he doesn't have to take off his love hat to be severe. He is being severe here in this moment. He is. But at the same time, his stern response is because of his love, not because of lack of his love. God is not just love. It is who he is. God saw saw that there was spiraling wickedness. And I I think God in this moment is looking down and says, I love humanity too much to let them fall off the edge. I I love them too much to let them commit suicide. So in his mercy, he intervenes. Because that's what mercy does. Mercy intervenes. In his love, he spoke because that's what love does. Mercy doesn't step back and disappear when it all hits the fan. No, mercy shows up. Love intervenes. And this is what we're seeing here. You may not like the way God does it. You may not like the way it reads. But I'm telling you, no matter what you think or how you think about God, he's not here to win a popularity contest. He's here because he loves us. And he loves each and every one of you. And he doesn't care if you like him or not. He still loves you. And when, he's, when, when, when God's disciplining you, he loves you. How many of you have ever had one of your kids call you a meanie? But you loved him, right? That's right. So I think one of the words for us here too is, is that in this moment that we're in, in this season that you and I are in, ah, we need to show up. 
We need to be present. We need to speak up because love is love. And that's what God's doing. He's not backing off. His mercy isn't just leaving the planet. He shows up when you really think it because it doesn't matter. It matters. You're worth it. This thought that <clears throat> this life that I'm living is just isn't worth it, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And you need deliverance. Talk to Rebecca. You need deliverance. Your life was created for such a time as this, again, because God has something really unique and special. Let's wrap this up. Go to Genesis 6, verse 8. This is powerful. <clears throat> it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It also told, tells us that Noah was a righteous man, that he was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So in this moment, in this catastrophically seeming moment, one man stumbled upon grace. One man found grace. One man found mercy. One man found favor. He found it all in one big treasure. So what's grace? Some would say it's God's empowering presence. I, I believe that. But I think here in this, in this passage, really what we see is that it's the kindness and the mercy of God. Maybe this is the genesis of God's kindness and mercy showing up in a powerful way. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's the second or third time. I'm just saying it shows up. And one man stumbled upon it. Yet there in his heart, as God's looking down at humanity, and he's grieving. He's grieving. And yet there's heart, in his heart there is kindness. And Noah comes upon it. I believe that some of us are about to stumble upon the kindness and the mercy of God in a level and at a level we have never experienced before. Here's Noah. He's praying. He has to be praying, going, like us today. We're like Noah in a sense. And many of us are saying, this is not good. We're looking around and we're going, this is not good. Everything that's spinning around us, the world, it's ugly. This is not good. God, where are you? God, this is not the way it should be. Noah, like us, is grieving. But he has no idea that he's grieving with the same grief that's breaking the fallen world. And all of a sudden, in this moment, Noah discovers grace. He discovers the kindness and the mercy of God. So Noah's ark, by the way, welcome to the real story of Noah's ark. Noah's ark is not about rejection. It's about mercy. It's about grace. God is not a vindictive God. But he's a merciful and kind father who feels deeply and his heart is filled with nothing. His heart is filled with grief, comfort, compassion, hope for the future of his children. And that's what he was doing in this moment. He was saving the remnant. He was saving the future of humanity. As bizarre as that seems, that's what God was doing. And in his mercy, he intervened. Romans 11.22 says this, says, Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. There is a journey that God wants us, you and I, to walk on. 
and it's a journey of kindness. It's a journey of releasing mercy and grace upon those who are around us. You say, wait a minute, Craig, have I thought about Christ that? Yes, you have. And next week we're going to talk about how we can begin to release this incredibly reckless, over-the-top grace on those that are around us so they too can experience the mercy and the grace of God. Amen? Let's stand. You know, if you truly believe that God has poured out on you His mercy and His grace, mm, it's time for you to give it away. We, we love reading about God's mercy and grace coming to us. But there's a time for us to release that grace and give it away. And what does that look like? Again, next week we'll talk about that. So, Father, I just thank you, God, for this incredible moment. I thank you for the way you have released mercy and grace over every one of us standing in this room. It's available to all of us, God. And, Father, I pray that you would just show us how we can take this mercy and grace and just begin to pour it out on others in our circle of influence, God. Father, I just pray for everyone in this room this week of download of your amazing grace and your amazing mercy. God, God, thank you, Father. And I just want to add, if <coughs> any of you need prayer beyond what you got in the chairs this morning, please come forward because there's people that would love to pray over you and pray with you. Amen. And if you do not know Jesus, if you're one of those standing there going, you know, I don't know about this. I would like to know who this God is in a deeper way. Come, because I'd love to share it with you. Amen? So God bless you. Have a glorious day. If you could help pick up some chairs, that would be awesome.